Well, good morning. Oh man, what a week, huh? That uh, Thanksgiving day, eh? All that extra sleep, right? From the turkey, the naps. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Famous last words. I've been thinking about that this week. You know, really, the passage that we've been covering, John chapter 17, is in essence Jesus' last words to his disciples before his arrest and his crucifixion. And so this week, as I was uh, thinking through this, uh, I, I researched some famous last words. And so I have some for you this morning, and to see if you can guess who, who said these words. So here's the first one. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Any idea who said that? Shout it out if you know. Anybody? It's kind of a tough one. Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> the painter of arguably the two most famous uh, pictures in, in paintings in the world, in history, uh, with the Mona Lisa specifically. Uh, but he offended God because he didn't do good enough work. Yet his legacy has endured. Here's another one. I'm going to try to throw you off with this one. Kaisu Technon, you too, my child? I bet you, you might be able to figure this one out. What do you think? You're probably going to argue with me about this one, but I'm right. Okay? Maybe you know it better as et tu, Brute. Thanks to Shakespeare, we know Julius Caesar's last words, right? But this is where uh, Ju- uh, uh, excuse me, Shakespeare got his famous last words. You too, my child? How about this one? Hurrah, boys. Let's get those last few reds, then head on back to camp. Hurrah. (laughs) John Wayne. Good guess. (laughs) How about uh, General George Armstrong Custer? That worked out pretty well for him, didn't it? Here's another one I liked. Uh, They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. That was actually said by uh, General John Sedgwick of the Union Army during the Civil War, shortly before he was shot by some Confederate sharpshooters. Okay. Or here's one that's familiar for all of you from Sweet Home. Let's, let's go ahead. Do we have that one? Nope, you don't got it. Okay. Hey, y'all, watch this. Right? Rednecks everywhere, Right? <laughs> I can make fun of Sweet Home. I was going to make fun of Brownsville this morning, but my wife's from Brownsville, and I have to go home with her. So. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, today we're going to finish up John, uh, the Upper Room Discourse, found in John 14 through John 17. Again, Jesus' kind of final words, his final encouragement, and, and today in John 17, his final prayer that he prayed for his disciples before his arrest and his, uh, his trial and his crucifixion. So let's jump into that. John uh, chapter 17, verses uh, 1. We're actually going to cover the whole chapter. So today I'm actually going to break it up a little bit. We're not going to read the whole chapter in one sitting. We're going to break it up just a little bit. And we're going to start in verses 1 through 5, where Jesus begins his prayer by praying actually for himself. And then we're going to look at the next portion, which is about John 6 through 19, where Jesus prays for his disciples. And then we'll finish it up by reading the rest of the chapter where Jesus prays for basically us. Okay, so we're going to start with his prayer, though, for himself. So let's read 
uh, verses 1 through 5 to get us going, and then see what uh, we can learn from this passage. Verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The verse that I'd like to pick out this morning and talk about for just a few minutes here is verse 4. So let me read that one again. I have brought you glory. And who's Jesus talking to? God the Father, right? He has brought glory to God the Father. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. What do you think that was? Sharing the love that the Father had for mankind. And his ultimate act of love that's going to happen in just a few short hours of sacrificing his life is going to demonstrate that love to us. But Jesus glorified the Father by finishing the work that he was given. So here this morning, what we need to learn from this is that Jesus glorified God by accomplishing the mission that he was given. God gave Jesus an act to do, to come to earth and to love and to sacrifice and show God's love. And Jesus glorified God by his obedience to the Father. And his obedience was finishing the job. God was glorified through Jesus' obedience. And that's what I want us to catch this morning. God was glorified through Jesus' obedience. Obedience glorifies God. You get that? Obedience glorifies God. You know, there are many pastors out there today, many churches, that are actually hesitant to teach and to talk from the pulpit about obedience. They believe that when we overemphasize obedience in our teaching, that we are actually teaching a works-oriented righteousness, where we have to gain favor from God through the things that we do. We have to gain our salvation with what we do or how much that we do. However, Scripture is clear. That obedience is important to our spiritual lives. (laughs) I love it. I'm going to remind you of that. (laughs) Obedience is important. How does it work? Why are we obedient? Why? Well, several weeks back, we talked about the love-obedience spirit cycle. Do you remember that? I reviewed it every week since then, right? That when we, it says that if we love God, what do we do? We obey, and that as a result of our obedience, that he blesses us, right? And what does he bless us with? His spirit, okay, which completes the cycle. See, uh, our obedience is a key part of our relationship with God. I want you to think about it in light of a marital relationship. You know, Jesus uses uh, his relationship with the church as a model for the marital relationship. So I want you to think this morning of obedience as acts of service. When I... Uh, love my wife. I don't do acts of service to earn her love. Right? I don't serve her so that I get the love back. Why do I do those things? Because, right? Because I love her. Because of our love, we obey God. Our love should motivate us to serve, 
motivate us to act on his behalf. Motivate us to act on the behalf of the ones that we love. In verse 4, it says that Jesus brought glory to the Father through accomplishing the work that he's been giving. By obeying the Father, he brought glory to the Father. Even Jesus obeyed. God himself obeyed. Yet in some of our Christian circles today, the thought of obedience is rebelled against. God's love is free. God's grace is free, right? Well, so should our obedience be free. God freely gave his grace to me, and I freely give my love and my obedience back to him. Obedience glorifies God. And Jesus set that example right up there. When he accomplished the mission he'd been given, he glorified God. Let's keep reading in verses 6 through 19. Where Jesus prays for his disciples. He continues in verse 6. I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me. And they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. And believed. And they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. But for those that you have given me. Uh, For they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I'll remain in this world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. The name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. You know who that was? Who was that? What? Say it loud. Judas, Judas thank you. Judas Iscariot. Okay, he is the one that was doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Here we come to our key verse, verse 17, 18, and 19. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. As Jesus prays for his disciples here, we see a very key uh, event take place, a, a comment in here that we need to remember. In verse 18 it says, As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Okay, what was our first point? Our first point was that Jesus glorified God by accomplishing the mission he was given, by obeying, right? By obeying and fulfilling that mission, Jesus glorified God. Well, the disciples, too, in this verse, are commissioned to continue the mission of Christ. He says, I was given a purpose in this world. I was tasked to go and demonstrate God's love for humanity and to repair that relationship that was damaged in sin between God and man. And as I have been sent into the world, as I have been given that task, I now give that task to them. I relinquish them into the world to carry on that mission. 
The disciples were commissioned to continue the mission of Christ. And we know this because in Matthew chapter 28 verses 1, I'm sorry, 19 through 20, where we actually do have Jesus' last words before he goes back to the Father, where he says this, Therefore, go and make what? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And truly, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What do we call that? What is that passage called? The Great Commission. That is the task that Jesus was given, and he passes it on to his disciples and to us. It's interesting to note that it's about this time in the Bible where we see a transition in the disciples' lives, where they were referred to as his disciples, his followers, the ones who sat beneath him in that transition from disciples to what? Apostles. You know what the word apostles means? One who is sent. One who is sent out. And so the transition here is from follower to leader, from someone who is learning to someone who is now practicing. And so the disciples, even in the very nature of their name, of what they're referred to by themselves, there's a transition as they follow this commission. And instead of learning from Jesus, they begin, they pick up the baton and carry it forward. They take the task that Jesus was given and attempt to fulfill it themselves. The apostles, ones who were sent. A transition from disciples to apostles, from followers to leaders, to ones who witnessed the mission, to ones who are now fulfilling that mission. Let's pick up in verse 20. Now, this is where it gets good. And I love verses uh, 20 through 26 here. Uh, when I was in high school, I remember reading this passage kind of for the first time for myself. You know, when you, uh, you grow up, maybe you've grown up in the church, and you hear all the stories, and, and you kind of know the basics of the Bible. But then uh, eventually, hopefully, it starts to take root in your heart, and you start to read these passages for yourselves, and you're like, why didn't they ever tell me that, right? I remember specifically reading this passage and having this realization that, Jesus is talking about me. Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for you in this passage. Uh, See if you catch it as we read. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You catch that? Jesus is praying for people that are not yet Christians. Because through the apostles' message through their witness, through their testimony, through their words, everybody that is a Christian today is a Christian, right? Is a follower of God. And so we are included in that, all who believe uh, in me through their message. And so Jesus, in his divine foreknowledge, in his omnipotence, in his godness, prayed for us. That's amazing. Let's keep going. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, 
the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. I love this passage. This morning, the verse in, in, in this section that I'd like to highlight is verse 21 and 23. Where it says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And again, verse 23, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And when that happens, when that complete unity happens, it says the world will know that you have sent me and and have loved them even as you have loved me. The key part here is, is unity. We have been tasked by Jesus himself to complete unity. All believers are to continue the mission of, of Christ, and we fulfill it through our unity. The mission given by Jesus in Matthew continues to this day as well, uh, carried out by all who call themselves Christians. Here at Southside, we take this mission very seriously. In fact, we've adopted it into our own mission statement uh, as a body. And we have it here this morning. I want to read it to you. Southside mission statement. It comes from John 17, verse 4, which we just read a little bit ago, and Matthew 28:19. The first part says this. Our purpose is to glorify God, as Jesus did, by completing the mission God has given us to do. And our mission is to make disciples. As Jesus commanded, by leading people to Christ and helping them reach their full potential in Him. Did you know that? Did you know that was our mission statement? Okay, you know, most organizations have a mission statement. But I love that the leadership of Southside decided this long before I came along, focused on what Jesus' mission Himself was. And that was to glorify God through obedience and completing the task that's been given us, which is the Great Commission. The mission given by Jesus continues. So we continue to accomplish this mission by reaching the world with God's love. As we do this, as we reach the world with God's love, we glorify Him. Earlier in the Upper Room Discourse, it says that they will know you are disciples by what? By our love, right? They will know that you are a disciple of Jesus himself by your love. And now in this passage, he adds something to that. He says, they will know you are Christians by your unity. Love and unity. Fulfilling the mission and unity. And unity is a tough deal. It's hard. And I believe that Jesus wouldn't have asked for this in his prayer if he wouldn't have known that we were going to struggle with it. Okay, in his omnipotence and his all-knowing uh, ability, he knew what we would struggle with and what, would it, what it was going to be. Our love and our unity. Our love and our unity. He knew we would struggle with this. You know, I came across a, across a great illustration of this several years back by uh, Max Lucado. In one of his books, he had this, uh, this illustration, this kind of a joke story. Uh, I hope it was a joke anyways, but I'm going to read it to you this morning because it, it hammers this point home pretty well. Some time ago, I came upon a fellow who was carrying a Bible. 
I notice your Bible. Are you a believer? I asked him. Well, yes, I am, he said excitedly. Uh, But I've learned you can't be too careful about these things. Virgin birth, I asked him. I accept it. Deity of Jesus? No doubt. Death of Christ on the cross? He died for all mankind. Could it be that I was face to face with a real Christian? Perhaps. Nevertheless, I continued my checklist. Status of man? Sinner in need of grace. Definition of grace. God doing for man what man can't do. Return of Christ. Imminent. The Bible. Inspired. The church. The body of Christ. I started to get really excited. Conservative or liberal? At this point, he was getting pretty excited too. Conservative, he replied. My heart began to beat faster. Church heritage. Southern Congregationalist, Holy Son of God, Dispensationalist, Triune Convention. That was mine too. Branch. Premillennial, post-trib, non-charismatic, King James, one cup, communion. My eyes misted. I had only one other question. Is your pulpit wooden or fiberglass? <laughs> fiberglass, he responded. I withdrew my hand and I stiffened my neck. Heretic, I said, and walked away. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it's true. You know, we've probably all had that type of situation happen in our lives, in our spiritual lives, in our lives as Christians. You know, the danger at Southside, the danger at every church that's growing or striving to accomplish the mission that's been given to us by Jesus through his disciples is division and dissension and disunity. The enemy wants nothing more than to sabotage the plans that God has for this body. So he'll try to turn us on each other and get us focused on the petty things instead of the big picture. It's easy to do. It's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to focus on our own preferences rather than on the purpose that we've been given and the people that come through our doors. Your personal preference can take priority over people. Your personal preference can take priority over our purpose. For example, what someone wears to church. Personal preference. Maybe you like the pastor to wear a tie and button his top button and tuck in his shirt. (sighs) Sorry. Maybe you don't like the type of song that we sing or how fast we sing it. It's too fast, too much instruments. It's too modern. It's too old. There's something wrong with it. It's a personal preference. Maybe your problem is the color of the carpet or the paint that's on the walls. That's a personal preference. Maybe someone sat in your seat. I've been to churches where that was a dangerous thing to do. That's personal preference. And that personal preference can get in the way of us accomplishing the purpose that we've been given, the mission that we've been given by Jesus to love and to share that love with anyone who comes through these doors, whether they're wearing nothing at all. Okay, maybe not nothing at all. Whether they're wearing something that we don't approve of, they don't smell very good, they came from the wrong side of town, they're from Sweet Home instead of Lebanon, all of those things, those are personal preferences. And we have to be careful when those things get in the way of our purpose. 
We have to be careful when those get in the way of us loving people. You know what happens when that takes place, when our preference takes priority? We violate the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 for complete unity. Do you get that? Man, I'm going to get in trouble over this one, I know. <laughs> Let's be people of grace. Let's be people of understanding. Let's be people of love. Let's be people of complete and total unity. Jesus glorified God by accomplishing the mission he was given, by his obedience, by his love, by his sacrifice, he glorified God. And the disciples were commissioned to continue the mission of Jesus Christ. And that mission was passed on to us, and we are to continue that mission in our day, in our age. And if we're not united, it's never going to become, it's never going to be complete. It's never going to come to fruition. And when we do these things, when we're united in a bond of peace and love and understanding, guess who gets the glory? God. God. The Upper Room Discourse. We just spent nine, ten weeks, I didn't count, going through Jesus' final words for his disciples before they would change from being followers to leaders. And he ends it with a call to unity. In John chapter 13, he starts off by the creator of the world getting down on his feet and his knees and and washing dirty feet. Do you get that? He didn't complain about what they were wearing. He didn't complain about what they smelled like. He got down on his feet, hands and knees, and washed their feet. In John chapter 13, the last half, he was betrayed by the people he loved the most. And we betray him too. But that's not the end of the story. That wasn't the end of the story for Peter when Jesus said, you're going to deny me. What was the end of the story? A man who was filled with the Spirit and stood in front of thousands of people and expressed the love of Jesus and won thousands to the kingdom. John 14, we learn that if we love him, we obey him. And today we talked about that. That brings glory to the Father. And we receive that Spirit, which allows us to do it more and better and deeper all the time. John chapter 15, 12 through 17 God says, I expect of you to give a greater love than what the world gives. I expect of you to give a love that's self-sacrificing, that would lead to your death, if need be, for the eternity of a friend. But you know what? The world doesn't understand that kind of love. They don't understand the purpose that Jesus was given. And as a result, we know that the world hates him. And he said it from the beginning that when you follow me, when you're known and you're identified as a Christian, the world's going to hate you. So don't let it catch you off guard. Expect it. Expect it. But I'm going to give you some help. I'm going to send you the Spirit, 
which will allow you to accomplish so much greater than I even was able to do. Thirst for that spirit. Because it's what's going to enable you. It's what's going to empower you to live this life. John 16, verses 16 through 33. We learn that Jesus has overcome anything that this world can throw in our way. Anything. There's no trial. There's no illness. There's nothing. Death itself cannot overcome the victor. Jesus himself. And again, John chapter 17. We've been given a mission to love, to reach out to others, and to do so in complete unity. So that's my challenge. Let's be united. Let's be united in Jesus. I have a couple take-at-homes for you this morning. I actually have four take-at-homes for you. I'm sorry. I know it's a lot. Here's the first one. Guess. Oh, it's already up there. You can't guess. Memorize John chapter 15, verse 12. Memorize John 15, verse 12. Actually, next week we're going to have a new one. We're going to have a new one, and I'm going to challenge you to memorize that one. I don't even have it picked out yet. I'll just warn you. But it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be like four sentences long. (laughs) Number two, this Christmas season, invite a friend. Invite a coworker, a family member. Invite someone to join you in worship. Okay, our mission. What is our mission? To glorify God by completing the work that he's given us. And what is the work that he's given us? To reach out to our community, to love our community, to draw people in to him. Let's do that this week. Let's do that this month. Third one, next time you are tempted to complain about someone or something within the church, first pray about how to handle it in a spirit of unity. That's a challenge. That's going to be difficult. Because my wife gets on me for complaining all the time. And I know I'm not the only one, right? So instead of complaining, instead of of, uh, disparaging someone, let's pray about it first. Let's ask for the Lord's guidance and how we can be united as a body. And fourth one, man, we have to take it to the Lord. Do you understand that? We have to take it to the Lord. I want you to pray for unity among the body here at Southside. Like I mentioned earlier, the enemy, the adversary, Satan, wants nothing better than to get his fingers in the middle of what's going on at Southside and divide us. It's not going to happen. Because we're going to be people of prayer. And the Lord is going to answer the prayers of his people at Southside. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And we're so grateful for the love that you've given us. And we're so grateful that you demonstrated your love by dying on that cross for us. And I pray, Father, that 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 sacrifice will be reflected in everything that we do, in our attitudes, in our opinions, in our preferences, that everything will be motivated by the love that you showed us. And that when those preferences are, are different than someone else's, that you will help us to lay them aside for the benefit of your body, for the unity of this church. Help us to be people, Father, who are known for our love and our compassion and our desire just to be bonded together in you. And that's my prayer. Please bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd love to talk to you more about this love about what it means to be united in Christ. And so I'd invite you to track me down. 
If it means if you need to come forward and pray with me and, or ask a question, come forward. We have not just me here this morning that would love to pray for you. I see Gary, one of our elders over here, Gary Bennett, and there's Terry over there, Doug and Don. Uh, any of us would love to talk with you more about the love that Jesus has for you. Or if you need just someone to hold your hand and pray with you, that's what we're here for. So please respond if the Spirit is tugging on your heart this morning. Thank you.